Welcome to the Youth Knowledge Project. Hey yo, welcome to the Youth Knowledge Project. This is Gabble. And I'm Farah. And today on the Youth Knowledge Project, we have Kevin Zhu. Kevin is a 16-year-old who loves to hang out with friends and socialize. However, different from others his age, he spends his time doing different projects, which include interning at Stanford, where he's researching cancer genomics, doing a fellowship at BioDojo, is a world science scholar, running the incandescent review, and more. Welcome, Kevin. Hello. Hi. Um. I know that we know each other from well, TKS, uh, which is um, the Knowledge Society. Um, and when last time I talked to you, you were working on identifying repeat expansions in cancer genomes. I know that is a mouth- mouthful, but um, can you tell us more about your research and your collaboration with Stanford? Yeah, yeah. So uh, for the last year, my lab and I, we've been working on uh, identify repeat expansions in cancer genomes. And essentially what that means is repeat expansions are a type of mutation where you have a, a sequence of DNA that repeats again and again and again. Um, and so for example, if we have CAG, 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 so on and so on. And these repeat expansions have historically been associated to neuro, neuro, neurodegenerative diseases. Um, and, and there are over 50 of them at this point that we've been able to characterize, including Huntington's disease, fragile X syndrome, which is the most common type of mental retardation, or, um, you know, spinal cerebellar ataxia, or muscle dystrophies. There's just a huge list of these. And um, the problem with repeat expansions is that outside the scope of neurological disease, their effect in other types of diseases is just not really well researched. Uh, because it's much harder to look at them. Um, Neurological diseases are usually monogenic, meaning that one mutation affects what happens. Uh, Like all the symptoms are are because of that one mutation. While in other diseases, such as cancer, we have every cancer cell being formed from one to 10 different mutations. And so when you have a tumor, you have like tens of hundreds of thousands of mutations to account for. And so with recent technologies that have come out and algorithms and just methods that improve our ability to look for these repeat expansions, my lab and I have been able to identify the prevalence of repeat expansions in the context of human cancer genomes. Um, And so that's been a huge part of my research the last few months. Um, This summer, you know, we wrapped that up and I've been focusing on the exact opposite, actually. So repeat contractions in cancer genomes. And so that's something I have complete jurisdiction over. It's my own independent project. And um, I've gotten some pretty nice success on, on like um, being, able to success, being able to successfully identify um, their existence in cancer genomes, which is already huge because it's like the first time we've been able to see these mutations in cancer. Um, and then from there, I'm trying to figure out right now how I can find you know functional identities and, and uh, methods towards their actual mechanisms, so. How did the idea of like working on that specifically, like the contractions come from? I just flipped what we're, what I've been doing for the longest time. Like <laughs> sometimes like the best ideas are just the ones that are most simple, right? So if I were doing repeat mm-hmm. expansions for such a long time, why not just do the exact opposite? Like if insertion mutations and expansions can have such a big effect, why can't the exact opposite where you delete um, have the same effect in just the opposite context, right? So 
Um, the example I always give is like, if we have a proto-oncogene and that oncogene is uh, naturally tumor-promoting, but you have a repetitive sequence there that prevents it from actually doing anything, right? So that, that repetitive sequence is an inhibitor, right? Um, and if that inhibitor shrinks or deletes itself, then the gene is able to express itself more. And because this gene is naturally tumor-promoting as an oncogene, um, the situation where we have a deletion mutation occur causes this gene to become toxic. And so just these situations is what we're looking for in the context of, of human disease. Wait, just out of like curiosity, how would you able to like discover these uh, contractions in genome yourself at home? How? Uh, so no, I was at the lab. Um, uh... So two ways. One was uh, first computationally. And so I have this entire pipeline of like steps I took on how I can actually identify these repeat expansion mutation, repeat contraction mutations. Um, and like, it's a really long process. I got access to data through Stanford um, of just genomes that I can work with. And then like through various algorithms that either my colleagues have created or that I've created. Um, there's this whole like process I take to, to find first candidate recurrent repeat contractions. And then I go through statistical analysis to base like significance of these contractions. And then I select a few uh, that I think are promising. And then at the lab, I had primary tumor samples of these, um, of patients with cancer, various cancers, for example, prostate adenocarcinoma. And I'll extract the DNA from those uh, samples to then um, process and then try to visualize on a gel electrophoresis um, and both well, first PCR and then electrophoresis to see if I can look for these differences in repeat size um, on the gel. And so that's how I can visualize and validate experimentally that these contractions exist. Yeah. And like, what do you see like the future applications of this research going? Yeah, so expansion and contractions both lead to a very similar uh, future is the fact that we understand cancer's mechanisms more. Because we understand cancer's mechanisms more, there's two big outcomes here, right? One is future precision therapeutics, because now this can be a target for either drug molecules or for, you know, therapies, whatever it is, um, because we know that there's a correlation to cancer, right? Um, the next thing there is that we need to figure out what the um, causation aspect of it is, like what is the actual effect of these expansions or contraction mutations with cancer um, that requires more research. And then the other thing is diagnostics, right? How can we use this as a biomarker to then potentially diagnose patients early on with cancer or, or risk of cancer? Um, I want to clarify though. So the research that I'm doing is, um, you know, it's from zero to one, right? It's, it's the first time we're seeing these mutations in cancer and we're years away from actually developing a working therapeutic or product for patients, right? That's that side of research is translational research, right? Because you're you're at the brink of of creating a product to actually affect patients or whatever it is. But the research that I've been able to do is is not that step. It's the step right before that, so that people who are on that you know cusp of of you know creating companies and all those things have that research to didn't do. So there's that distinction of of the different sides of research. Um, so yeah. This is awesome. So, like, you're working on, like, the fundamentals, like, to yeah. basically hand off to other people to, I don't know, expand, like, yeah. cancer research more. That's amazing. It's wow. very cool. Actually, I'm uh, very curious on how do you get to get from a high school student to an intern at Stanford at the age 16? Like, how do you get there? 
Yeah, so um, let's see, where did I start? I started out just learning how to program on my own over quarantine. Um, so I learned how to program and then like tried building my own project with uh, the same repeat expansion mutations and uh, in neurological disease. Like I, I wanted to see if I could diagnose patients um, with already currently existing um, knowledge and I did that completely on my own. And it was like this independent project that I got pretty lucky with. Um, that was my springboard into the actual industry, right? So all the papers I read, all the people that I, I had heard of in conferences or whatever it was, reach, I reached out to them. And I basically said like, I have this algorithm or project that I did on my own. Would you be willing to give me some feedback on it? Um, and then I'd also love to to learn more about what you're working on. And then if you are open to it, I, I eventually mentioned like a mentorship position for them to, to help me out in my endeavors in the industry. Um, and it worked out well for me. I, I got responses from most of the people that I reached out to. They were they liked what I created. And then that eventually led me to be connected to the lab at Stanford that I'm currently working at. So it really was just like reaching out, making that step of, of reaching out, but also like distinguishing the fact that, you know, I had been driven enough to build something on my own and then show them that I can't do this on my own. And then like with their help, I can do just as much as like a grad student, you know, so. Wow, that's amazing. Very impressive. It sounds like it takes a lot of your time like doing this over the summer and I'm guessing you're continuing this as you're going to school right now with like all your other projects as well how do you like manage your your time with like all of that um that's a good question I think <laughs> um the system that I use is like every day or every week really I write down what I have to do right and that's just a bunch of tasks and and the way it works for me is that I will just check off when I get something done when I get something done I, I usually don't, I, I know a lot of people time block, especially in TK, as we learned that time blocking is really important. I tend not to do that unless I actually absolutely have to. Um, and instead I work much better on a system where it's just this list of things I have to do and then I will pick what I want to do. And then by the end of the week, hopefully not will be done, you know? Um, and so of course I have deadlines next to the things that have deadlines. Um, I just get them done and it's like you, I learned how to be efficient in things. For example, like I'm much faster at doing programming and doing, you know, like working with terminal and cloud clusters, all the, all those kind of things in research compared to like the beginning of the summer. And um, yeah, it's just things that you have to build habits for. Um, I think time management is one of the things that I both struggled and improved upon the most over quarantine. Cause like, uh, I just loaded myself up with a lot of stuff over quarantine. Uh, and so that just forced me to, to be productive um, and learn how to do things well. Um, and now it's more so like, I'm still doing a lot of things, but like, I know like how to manage them. Um, I hope I know how to manage them. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a pretty roundabout answer to it, but yeah. Wait, also your, you mentioned like programming, like what kind of programming is it specifically? Um, I mean, I code mainly in, in Python, um, but, you know, I use bash for the terminal and just navigating things, executing commands using command line. Um, so I guess bash and Python are the two main languages. Cool. Um, personally, <laughs> I know you're a big storyteller and you're also 
uh, CEO and editor in of chief at the Incandescent Review. How do you come in contact with Incandescent Review, and can you tell us a bit more about what Incandescent Review does? Yeah, so the Incandescent Review is a teen-run literary magazine focused on mental health and empowering the youth, eliminating censoring and consent, um, eliminating the the voices of the youth. Um, and it was founded by one of my close friends um, at the school I go to, and so I was involved in it. And when like when I first started, um, and you know we grew really really quickly, um, and we publish you know bi monthly now quarterly. Um, literary magazine issues where we publish works of art, literature, and music, sometimes of um, individuals. We also run a summer studio for kids ages 11 to 14, um, where we raise money and then donate most of the proceeds to UNESCO. Um, we do a bunch of other like side projects internationally um, and uh, locally with uh, other forms of media, including spoken word and video. And it's just been a really, really great community because you know we have a huge team of over 60 people at this point um, who are part of the organization and we work on various aspects. And, you know, I think for me, it's very, very nice to be able to actually see like we're a platform for, for people to, to be able to, um, you know, showcase their work, showcase their thoughts and feelings and emotions and um, put stuff out there, you know. Um, and in terms of asking your question, like how I was related to them, you know, I started working there, um, you know, did my part. Um, I, I left for a little bit um, due to uh, time management and just quarantine things, but came back and, you know, got the chance to um, run the magazine with one of my uh, close friends, uh, who's the other uh, co-CEO. Um, and now we've been doing this for a few months now and it's been great, so. Where can I buy? <laughs> Yeah, it's actually just free online, uh, theincandescentreview.com, uh, .org, sorry, theincandescentreview.org. Um, you can go online, look at it. Um, we just published our most recent issue four days ago, so go check it out. Um, we will be releasing print issues very soon, so if you want to buy, they are 10 bucks a pop, so... Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'll definitely, we'll definitely support. Definitely support. Thank you. I appreciate that. So it's written by mostly teen writers? Yep. Almost all teen writers. We we accept mainly ages 13 to 24, 22, 24. Um, and so a lot of our, our submissions and, and publications are in that age range. That's really good. I think that's in very close, like, philosophy as to our podcast because our audience is sort of um it's just like 13 21 so mm -hmm. definitely support definitely support uh -huh. awesome what is the most interesting story or like issue you covered in the incandescent review oh oh that's so hard <laughs> um so we tend to publish around eight to ten six to ten i guess um art and then six to ten writing submissions per issue mm -hmm. less art and a little bit more writing um but uh generally each story you know has its own meaning behind it whether it's you know personal or it's a fiction piece um but we tend to take pieces where we think either have a very lyrical meaning to them that is close to our own mission um or there's some other like personal story that is conveyed through it and so 
this past magazine, we past cycle of submissions, I guess we had over, I don't know how many exactly, but we ended up taking a little less than, I would say like 10% of submissions um, just because there were so many. And um, I guess one thing that stood out, I, I can't name one thing that stood out to me, but we've heard a lot of stories a lot of the time. And if you go in our, our magazine, there's there's mm-hmm. hundreds of them to, to look through. Uh, we also publish blog posts so you can see like some people from our team writing about current issues or just uh, creative pieces that they've written. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I also think that those pieces stand for themselves. And so me trying to, to give you a summary about them would not give them the justice they deserve. So, yeah. yeah. I wanna what go if, I wanna uh, check those out. What if some of our listeners would like to join and write pieces for the Incandescent Review? How are they able to do that? Yeah, so the Incandescent Review, uh, we accept staff team applications to any one of our teams. Our teams are marketing, fundraising, and activism, activism uh, fundraising, and finance, um, critical writing, creative writing, um, marketing, and uh, art and design. And so those eight teams, you can oh, also film and spoken word. Um, you can apply to them through our Google form and that would be internally, right? So you would either work directly on those teams and whatever aspect of it is, but if that's creating covers for our blog posts or Instagram posts or writing for our blogs or um, you know evaluating some of the submissions we get, you're welcome to apply and um, see if you fit our team. Uh, at the incandescentreview.org. You can just scroll down. There will be a place to like join the team. But if you just want to be published or read some of the stuff that we're doing, you know, you can just go on the website, look at the issues, the previous issues, the blog posts are free, open on the internet for you to look at. And always be open to submit to our magazine um, through our email. I think it's submissions uh, dot the review. Uh, at gmail.com and so it's like our, our guidelines are on the website you can submit we publish quarterly so submit anytime now until the end of november i think for this next issue and hopefully you might be selected to be part of the issue sounds great um i saw that you are yeah, can you like introduce what like biodojo is and like what do you wish to accomplish there yeah uh biodojo is a community of biotech and bio enthusiasts across the world mainly for undergrads but there are a number of high schoolers involved um, and it's a cohort based system founded through uh, founded out of UFT um, by some TKS kids actually two two TKS and one non TKS but um, you know the whole goal is to create this community of individuals passionate about bio provide them opportunities specifically even towards the funding side because funding for undergrads and high schoolers are virtually impossible to find um to support yourself as a biotech enthusiast except for like very selective grants or whatever it is um and so uh as part of the uh second cohort we do uh we do like talks with fireside chats with you know um ceos and founders and other um, established individuals in the biotech field. We do brain pods or um, informative presentations uh, from some of the members. We're all doing different kinds of projects and different avenues. And we just get the chance to, you know, like uh, interact with one another, uh, talk with one another. Um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty um, tight knit, you know, we're, we just got started last month and it'll go, it'll go this entire year. 
And so I'm very excited to see how things go with that. And it's just a very nice community to be a part of. That's really nice. What's your favorite thing about the culture there? Um, I think everyone's very excited about the thing that they do um, in the biotech world. And so there's just so many different aspects in bio, right? And so like seeing what everyone's doing, either through conversations or reading the things that they've been doing or just seeing how they interact. It's just a, a very nice and encouraging place that I can, you know, talk to uh, specific to biotech or bio, you know. And so I think that's that's one big thing. I'm still amazed how we can do so many things at once. <laughs> it's been like three and then there's still more. Oh, my God. I am I'm, I'm respect. Pay a lot of respect to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You seem like a very like sciencey type of person but i know like you also like um do a lot of like music and like play you play the piano i know that you go to juilliard for piano right yeah um, um how did your journey start with like piano and like how did you come across juilliard yeah uh i think in the in terms of like, the debate between like science and, and arts or stem and arts i i do a very big mix of the two um and uh, that's just because like I, I find that I love both equally in different aspects. Um, in terms of piano, I got involved in it um, at a very young age. I started playing piano when I was three. Um, wow. And that was just on my own accord. Three? Like, I... Oh my God, three. <laughs> yeah. When you're like this tall. Yeah, yeah. It was just like me pulling around on the piano. Um, but yeah, I started super early because I, I remember I heard one of my family friends playing and I really liked it. And I... My parents got me a keyboard for one of my birthdays and I just started playing on that for a very long time. And then started joining like formal pre-college programs. So I started studying at the Manhattan School of Music pre-college when I was in early elementary school. Um, and that brought me all the way into high school really for a good six, seven years working with a professional, um, you know, like going to festivals, performing, um, I had my concert debut, went through different competitions and such. And, you know, I had one experience in middle school where I, uh, one summer, I got the chance to travel to different places and perform and just meet other people who um, are in the musical world. And, you know, I, I learned a lot about how culture um, is involved in music. And so um, that's one thing I've been exploring a lot recently. Um, you know, then from there, I, I got into the Juilliard School of Music pre-college program, and I've been studying there for the last two years. Um, so, yeah, it's just been a journey for me, and it's it's a huge part of my life. I, I something I practice daily, um, and it's it's always going to be there for me. So, yeah, that's that's music for me. It's actually very surprising to me how you um, got into piano. By your own will, not your parents' will. Cause... Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of people get into it through parents because they're forced to whatever it is. I think I'm lucky enough to not have had that experience. Um, and I, I joined on my own account. Uh, so, yeah, I'm grateful for that. And, yeah, that's why I'm still doing it now. I've, I've actually discovered a pattern where, like, people who are really into science and, like, innovation, they're, like, finding out new stuff in science, are also really good at art. Like one way or another. Yeah, I guess for me, it's just, I, I, I've like thought about interdisciplinary interactions a lot the last few years. And like, 
what the interactions between STEM and arts are. And like, I see that in my writing, uh, when I write poetry, whatever it is, like I see that I'm making allusions to scientific topics or even like when I'm doing scientific research or the process I take, you know, the planning sometimes involves more of an artistic approach uh, where I, instead of like just straight like hypotheses, whatever it is. And I think it's important to have both aspects in life, um, even if you're not directly involved in both. But yeah. Talking about this, join Krebs Institute <laughs> for the intersection mm-hmm. of art and science. Anyways, it's a organization started by Christina from our mm-hmm. last episode and is about all about like how to incorporate art if you're interested you can contact her yeah yeah because uh, Krebs is a great um, organization I was involved in it early on um, talking with Christina as she was planning it out I think it's gone really well um, Christina is one of my close friends in TKS so definitely uh, props to her for uh, starting that up and I hope it does really well because it's, it's a really great idea um, and it's something that, you know, the world needs, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know from our talk, you're working a lot on cancer and biotech-related projects. I was wondering how you would see these projects and opportunities play out towards your future and what your end goal in the future is for uh, working on these projects. Yeah, um, I guess right now, a lot of the things I do are just based on what creates the most impact or what I find most, you know, like interesting, important, something that I can work on with like actual importance. Um, And for me, you know, that's been in the cancer space, cancer being the second leading cause of death in the entire world. Um, And like the biotech space itself is just huge. Um, It's what I fell into, what I... Uh, became most interested in but I don't know if that's going to be what it is for the future you know like for the rest of my life Um, I fully expect it to change some way shape or form Um, or maybe it won't I really don't know I really don't care right now (laughs) either way Um, I think right now it's more so just um, you know following the flow whatever I can do at the highest level whatever I find most interested in is what I'm going to do Um, and so yeah do you have like um any specific like milestones you wish to achieve in the future? Like maybe it's not like related to biotech or um it depends on like what aspect of stuff. Um I think if anything it's just make impact. <laughs> um and, and that's done in different ways. For, like music, it's like recording a recital or performing or like um in research it's like publishing a paper. Uh, or being a, being a first author paper um, or, you know, being able to share my work at conferences uh, or if it's like with my literary magazine, expanding how many people we reach, you know, international reach, um, our viewership, those kind of things. Just whatever way that I can, you know, share what I've been able to do at a high level um, to other people, inspire them, that kind of stuff. That's a great mindset. But um, would you say you have any like philosophy that kind of, works in your daily lives that motivates you or you live by um let me think oh uh following my curiosities um because 
I think I'm lucky enough in the fact that everything I do, I love doing. Um, I know a lot of people like they'll do something that they're good at, but they don't necessarily love doing. And I think that's stupid because you're wasting your time on something that you're not going to pursue after you either go to college or you get out of college, whatever it is, right? Um, I think do what you think is interesting. Do what you think what you would like to do. Um, and, you know, don't be afraid to do it because those are the things that, you know, are most meaningful to you. And that's going to be different for every single person. Um, I think that's one thing I follow. The other thing is seek discomfort. Um, you guys have heard this before. Uh, there's mm -hmm. Yes Theory, who that's their motto, seek discomfort. Um, but like sometimes doing things out of your comfort zone will give you good opportunities. Like if it's cold emailing someone, if it's, you know, talking to someone that you don't know for the first time or sharing stuff, you know, those are things to do. Or even doing something completely stupid, like like going out and doing like a discovery challenge in public, right? That can just, sometimes like self-love is important, right? Um, or like experiencing things going, like I love doing things that are adrenaline-based. I'll go cliff jumping. I want to go cliff jumping at some point. You know, I go hiking um, or, you know, like, I went off-roading for the first time this summer, um, stuff like that. You know, it's like, you just take life for what it is um, and know the balance between overstressing yourself and relaxing too, so, yeah. Would you say that, like, playing piano is kind of, like, a relaxing for you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. On the opposite um, spectrum, like, the science projects and all that. Yeah, yeah. I think piano is a great avenue for me to just relax at times. But it's also stressful because um, there's there's basis to like, you know, deadlines on, on music that I have to play or perform, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Do you have like a, another creative outlet that like helps you like, I don't know, relieve your stress, I guess? Um, reading. I write poetry. Um, oh, cool. I do sports. Poetry. So, yeah. A great yeah, poet. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know I don't that. Know about great poet, but yeah, um, really yeah, cool. I do I, I do poetry and, and creative nonfiction essay writing. Um, I also play sports. I play volleyball and tennis. So tennis, especially, is an avenue for me to really stress. So tennis. Are you like good? Do you rank or anything? <laughs> I mean, I play varsity at school, um, and I'm joining national, uh, not national, like just like tournaments for tennis. So I'm okay. Not terrible. Pretty good. Um, enough good enough good enough you're doing yeah. so much at once that this is like yeah you have like a good balance of life like you yeah like, good, like, poetry creative writing music for like uh -huh. you know relaxing times and then to like i mean to like let go of some stresses i guess like sports staying fit that's really cool yeah and then yeah really yeah cool. athletics stay stay healthy stay fit exercise don't get quarantine weight um that's terrible. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I mean, wait, you just go. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say like, I'm still 16, so I I want to grow taller. Um, I want to. How you know, tall are you? Guess. Six foot. I wish five I was six eight. Foot. Yeah, I'm like five eight, five nine. Oh. oh. Okay, yeah. you're like my height. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, Tara's tall. You you will you will grow taller, you know, at just sixteen. Yeah. I had friends who like started growing at twenty, so like you're good. At twenty <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's alright, it's alright. We move, we move.
yeah it was really nice having you on the podcast like honestly you're pretty interesting person like i can't wait to see like what what like comes out of your life like you're just like i appreciate that in like so many different like paths and i can't wait to see where you go for sure yeah and anyone on your podcast that listens if they ever want to like you know talk or or discuss something if they have any questions or just want to like jam sometime like feel free to reach out to me uh on email if you want to like put my email when you guys put this out like kcjarico at gmail.com um they're free to reach out to me whenever and i'm down to have a conversation so if you want to support more young innovators like our guest today please follow our podcasts on all platforms also follow us on twitter and linkedin to stay updated on the youth knowledge project and to keep up with the next generation of young game changers Remember to watch out for new episodes coming out every Wednesday. See ya!